Episode 6, Stand at Ease, The Purple Heart, June 26, 2010. I don't care what you say, those little girls get out there and they suffer the same thing. These are things that don't leave. These are things that stay with for our regular listeners, we're going to break from the normal format of the program and have you join in on our conversation uh, as it started in pre-production. Uh, normally, we have a pre-production conference to talk about the show, and then we start recording the program. Uh, today, Jim, however, started sharing with us uh, the time that he spent last night at the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor, which he was recognized, and uh, we just went into the program, and I began recording, so... Where you're going to come in on this program is where uh, I started recording uh, Jim during the the pre-conference. We'll return to our normal format after uh, after today's program. Uh, join in, thanks. It, it was really uh, it was quite moving. The whole thing was quite moving yesterday. Yeah. We'll talk about it on the show because I think it's something that uh, we need to discuss. Well, we're going to put the it... importance of this. Go, go ahead. No, no, Jim, go ahead. Just I, I've already started recording, and I'll do all the fancy stuff in between, so just go. Okay. Well, yesterday, well, it was important for two reasons. Yesterday they honored, and this goes back for about 70 years, 130 veterans who were wounded in battles. It dates back to the 1940s. There were 1,200 people that attended this event. Wow. You know, it's hard to uh, really express to you the importance of this event. When I first came, <clears throat> I first came up here. I'm, I'm up in New Hudson Valley. I'm up in uh, Newburgh, New York. It, this is the last encampment where the hall is located at. It is the last encampment for the uh, Revolutionary Army, where George Washington's headquarters were. Washington is the guy who created the badge of merit. And at that time on it, uh, there was no awards. I mean, we were a brand new country. We didn't have those things. So he took a purple cloth and cut it in the shape of a heart. And you could sew it on your left breast pocket, which meant that you had done something on it. Uh, it was only given to the enlisted and non-commissioned officers uh, for meritorious actions. So that's how the Purple Heart started. Mm. So the National Hall, and this is a uh, this is the only one of its kind in the United States where they honor the wounded and the dead. I mean, it, it's it's really an impressive place. Mm. It's called the National Purple Heart Hall of Honor in Newburgh, Windsor. They have recordings there of men who uh, have been wounded. I stopped by it. I drove by the place, and I saw the sign. It said uh, National Hall of Purple Hearts. So I went in to see if I was in there. And sure enough, you know, I got three Purple Hearts. Mm -hmm. I was there, on it and uh, they asked me to do some updating. So I gave them some pictures, and they wanted copies of my citations of the Navy Cross. That's there, and all my other awards that I've uh, accumulated so all that's a matter of record now that uh, is part of a national archive. Mm -hmm. And I was impressed with it. Uh, I've seen a lot of people there that, you know, it just pulls at you so much. 
but it was impressive. Petraeus, like I said, you know, he showed up. What, what a hell of a guy, too. I had a few moments I could talk to him, and I told him, I said, you know, I really do admire you, and I pray for you daily. And you've got the hands of so many people's lives, and, you know, that they rest in decisions that he makes. Mm-hmm. I mean, there were 10 standing ovations. There's 151,000. That's the number of Purple Heart recipients who are registered in the Hall of Honor. But they estimate that there's uh, 1.7 million, the number of Purple Hearts given out to American veterans dead and alive. And I got some statistics that I want to go over with you. And, you know, whoever's listening to us, they can share in some of this, man. It's hard to talk about Purple Hearts. That's the one medal that nobody wants. Yeah. So it, it, it's it's really uh, really something else. I made some notes. So I can't remember all this, so I made some to go over with you. <clears throat> also, I don't know if you know this or not, but June the twenty fifth was the sixtieth anniversary of the Korean War. I talked to my dad a little bit that day and yeah. asked how he was doing because he, he, he fought in Korea. And oh, I got, yeah. Well, you know, I got a, Korea was, you've got to look at Korea like a valley. And, and the reason I say that to you is, is it was right in between World War II and Vietnam. But uh, guys who fought in, in Korea, it was a hard fought battle. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. I mean, there was over 4 million U.S. airmen, Marines, sailors, and soldiers who served in Korea. Um, I ran a book by a war. And it's still not not done yet either. Um, Just had the ceasefire there at the end. But I'm reading a book called the... It's uh, never really been declared ended. It's the only conflict that we still have open like that. There was 33,741 Americans killed, and there was 103,284 wounded, with over 4 million U.S. Airmen, Marines, sailors who served there. I mean, that's huge. I mean, look at World War II. World War II, there were 11 million military who served in World War II. There was 8,300,000 in the Army. There was 4 million... 204,000 in the Navy, and the Marines had 599,693 who served. Hmm. In that war, there was 291,557 people killed in action, and there was 671,846,000 that were wounded. That's huge. And then you got the Vietnam War. And the Vietnam War, let me give you some numbers on that, which, again, is, is kind of staggering. The Vietnam War, they listed from 1961 to 1973. There was over a half a million medevac, over a half a million medevac missions flown. They airlifted out over 900,000 patients. It was 2.59 million served in the Vietnam conflict. And it was 
47,424 killed and 153,303 wounded. That's, you know, that's staggering. The actual numbers, I don't know if they were ever recorded well or not. I mean, who knows? Could have even been more. Have you ever... Have you ever heard the poem that was written for the uh, Vietnam Women's Memorial? No. Do you have it? Yeah, I do have it. Could you read it? Yeah. Yeah, give me a second. I'll, sure. I'll pull it up. David? Yep. What do you yeah, have? Women. <laughs> I'm just thinking. Women have, uh, yeah, women have served in every conflict in one role or another, but never in a true combat sense like they do now, Dave. I mean, I don't care what they say. Those, those girls get out there and they suffer the same thing that men suffer. But the nurses <laughs> is what this thing was kind of uh, written for. And I'll read it to you. Uh, the poem was written especially for the 10th anniversary of the dedication of the Vietnam Women's Memorial in Washington, D.C. The first time I heard it, it shook me up for days. But I've always kept it. I would like to thank you as I raise to meet today for the songs of birds and sunshine's kisses and the gift of getting gray. I would like to thank you for the gentle breeze I feel, the scarred legs that carry me to work and how you help them heal. I would like to thank you for the children in my life, the memories of their growing years, I share with my loving wife, I would like to thank you. For the grandkids that abound, how they like to sit on grandpa's lap, and the joy they bring around, I would like to thank you. For the sacrifice you made, how you left your friends and family when you could have easily stayed, I would like to thank you. For the men you kept alive, from treating wounds to giving hope, you're the reason they survive. I would like to thank you. For the time you spent crying, and the gift, and the grief cared deep inside for all the soldiers dying, I would like to thank you. For the nights you didn't sleep, and the horrible things you had to see. Without the time to weep, I would like to thank you. For the nightmares you may see, the smells that haunt your memory, from which you can't be free, I would like to thank you. For the guts to volunteer, the selfless service to your country, it's why we hold you dear, so I just want to thank you. It's the proper thing to do for all the dads, and granddads who are alive because of you. The poem was written by a man by the name of William Edwards, November 2003. Wow. Let me just a second there. But you know, sometimes we overlook people like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I remember the nurses that worked on me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it's just uh, it's just amazing. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. It really is. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you what a, you know, what a, yeah, pretty, pretty powerful stuff there, man. Well, you know, that's what war is all about. <clears throat> and we got two wars going on right now. Yep. And I just, uh, you know, my son will be 18, uh, September. Dominic, he's my oldest boy, and Brandon, he's right behind him. He'll be 17. You just never know. You just never know. I got a 20-year-old daughter. I mean, Petraeus has his hands full. Yeah. I'm sorry about what happened with McChrystal, but, you know, it is what it is. And now Petraeus has got to go in and uh, take a hard look at where they're at. You know, the rules of engagement there. It's always been an issue. Rules of engagement are always an issue in any conflict. Here you're dealing with a group of people who you can't really distinguish as the enemy. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Yeah. They dress in, in the same attire as everybody around them. Yeah. How do you depict them? They don't wear armbands saying enemy on it. You know, they look like everybody else. And it puts our troops at such a huge disadvantage and part of a pacification program that was started there. Yes, it's uh, increased the amount of, well, I should say it's decreased the amount of civilian casualties, <laughs> but it's increased the amount of military casualties. And I'm, you know what? A military man goes where his country sends him to. And I go back to what I've always told you guys. When you put that uniform on, you're signing an IOU. And sometimes you're called upon to pay that IOU in full. And that's with your life. Other times, you only partially pay it. You lose an arm, a leg. They had a boy there that, his boy is, you know, he was a lieutenant in the Army, but uh, he lost his sight. You know, from a car side bomb. Mm -hmm. He didn't pay the full price. But boy, what a price. Mm -hmm. You know, you look around, you see a one-legged man, sometimes no legs. He didn't pay the full price. But he paid a big price. You know, I was hit on numerous occasions. Everything works with me, so I don't have any bitches. I was really, really <laughs> lucky. You know, so uh, you just never know. You know, but there's was... other wounds that anybody who wears a uniform who goes into battle. Those wounds I never seen. Those are the wounds that he carries in his mind. Those are the wounds that never heal completely. At different times, they break open. You know, sometimes. They harden up, and you forget about them for a while, but something can take place, and that wound is reopened again. And that wound I'm referring to is memory. And, and that's the thing that we as Americans have to always, always, always remember. Those who put on that uniform and pick up arms and go where their country sends them. 
they're paying a price for freedom that we enjoy and we take for granted sometimes. Make no mistake about it. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of people out there that would like nothing better than to kill as many of us as they possibly could. And they don't make any bones about it. Hell, when I was up here uh, last time, they had the Times Square bomb. Now, fortunately, that idiot didn't know what he was doing. The bomb didn't go off. But if it had have gone off, hundreds, hundreds would have been killed and wounded. There was enough explosives inside of that van to take out a couple city blocks, but it was geared for shrapnel. think about that. I mean, I, I think sometimes people forget about 9-11. <laughs> it, it's just incredible. You know, Jim, it was interesting. I was watching watching television yesterday, and <clears throat> and then I don't often watch Rachel Maddow, but in this case I happened to be watching, finding out what was happening, and she she called the president out, and she called, she called out a lot of people who were on her shows, but in generally that's more of a liberal crowd, you know. She said something, uh-huh. and it was so profound. The president stood up and said, we are a nation at war, and then she froze that picture and went back to her. She says, yes, we are a nation at war, and we're acting as if we it's our military at war. We are oh, yeah. a nation at war, and that's what you're talking about. And I, and I, and I, that has been in my mind. And I knew that we were going to talk about this today. And we are a nation at war, and people seem to forget that the all-volunteer military is set up with people who are standing up and saying, "I will take care of this for you, and I will fight this war for you." There's no draft, and these are the most honorable of honorable people. And um, this nation doesn't seem to know that we are at war as a nation it seems as if we just send people out to do it like the people who are supposed to pick up my garbage and deal with it that's not my problem and pick up my recycling that's not my problem and sweep my streets and protect me from the slime buckets that are out there those those are my problems because my problem is i've got this guy at work that's giving me some crap and am i going to get my raise you know we we do forget jim we do forget because of the brave men and women who are out doing what they're doing for us belief in us ted harden who is now going to be doing that with us and people like you and gifford doxy yeah you're right you're right well you know there are other people that haven't forgot yesterday really made me feel proud to see so many Americans that answered that call. You know, Petraeus said something, and, and I wrote it down, and I wanted to keep it. I write stuff down if, if it catches me hard, you know. Mm-hmm. And this is what he said. It is often said, and rightfully so, that today's troopers stand on the shoulders of those who came before them Whatever endeavor, whatever the mission, our troopers have always said, send me. And that's the truth. Look at how many tours I was in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to be there. I I could have done one tour, and I didn't have to go back. 
I had enough Purple Hearts. <laughs> but my point is, you know, you, you accept the responsibility. I've seen it over and over and over and over and over again. Somebody gets hurt. They don't want to be medevaced out. They want to stay with the unit. And yeah. just as soon as they can heal up enough, they're right back out in the thick of it. They want to be with their buddies. That's the one thing about combat. It builds and it builds a cohesiveness. That it's just uh, you can't explain it. It's just there. You want to be with your guys, you know. That doesn't mean, like in my case, I was never, I was never close with anybody because your life was in my hands all the time, and I always had a lot of casualties. I mean, I'd be sitting and talking to you, and next second you're dead. Yeah. So you know, you you don't. It, it's a different type of uh, cohesiveness. You know, it, it's like. Uh, like it, it, you belong to me. I take care of you. I take care of you before I take care of myself. Yeah, it's like a child, you know. Uh, you take care of your children before you take care of yourself. You feed them before you eat. You let them sleep before you sleep. And if they're tired, you pick them up and you carry them. I mean, it's that's the kind of bond that you have in combat. It doesn't mean that, you know, I put my arm around you all the time and do this and do that for you. That, that's, that's a different kind of closeness. Combat is uh, totally different. Particularly if you're the guy giving the orders. Particularly if you're the guy that has to help carry the body bags around. It's, uh, and it's difficult. Go out sometime. If you ever, ever get a chance to go to Arlington or any any military cemetery, and all you see is just row after row after row after row of white crosses, talk about an impact. The first time I was at Arlington, I was just numb, completely numb. It's just row after row. Mm -hmm. My uncle had an opportunity to go back to Normandy. And he was he saw all the grave markers and everything just came back to him. This man's in his eighties, you know. These are things that don't leave you. (laughs) These are things that stay with you. They have huge, huge impacts on your life. And all those that are around you. And this is something that today we're much more conscious of as a nation. Today we're much more aware of as a nation. But you know what? Are we aware of it enough? You're asking a man to put on a uniform and lay his life on the line day after day after day. It's not like being a policeman. You know, and I, and I praise them also. But the day after day, gunfights, firefights, explosives, 
things of this nature that go on, no policeman faces that. No. A military man is just, just completely different. Completely different. In the countries that they fight in, I mean, you would think, like Afghanistan, right? You, you know, the Russians killed over a million people in that country. <laughs> That's huge. A million people the Russians killed. And they still didn't win the war. Look at Bosnia. All these other places where all these atrocities have taken place. And they still have conflicts. And it's just incredible. I think mankind is the only animal on the face of the earth that kills for literally no reason. Yeah. I mean, we're not cannibals. We, we don't kill each other to eat, do we? No. All right. Why, why do we kill each other? I wish I had that answer, it. Jim. I wish I had that answer. Well, I mean, it, it's just... Uh, I, I sure don't have it, but I'm very conscious of it. <clears throat> and, and that's something that uh, we all have to be aware of. You know, before you ask someone to put on that uniform, this is an all-voluntary army. There is no draft. You're absolutely right. These are kids that are like anybody else's kids. You know, this year's graduation time, right, June. I mean, kids get out and graduate. What do most of them do? They look around. The economy sucks. They say, well, what is it? What are my options? What can I do? <clears throat> Some of them say, you know what? I'll go in the military. I mean, look at the, what was the kid's name that we uh, talked with the last time? Ted, Ted Harden. Yeah, and what did he say? That there was a waiting list to go in the military? Yeah, in the Marines. In the Marines, yeah. Yeah. Over a year. Yeah, exactly. Over a year waiting list. There's only a handful of Marines in any conflict. Now, <laughs> when you put that uniform on, you're gone. we got two wars going on. Yeah. And what makes these wars even more different is that we've got women actually out in carrying guns in combat. My war, they were the nurses. You know, they, they, weren't out, they weren't out in the jungles with me. They weren't in the mountains with me. They weren't in the rice paddies with me. But they go on patrol in Afghanistan and Iraq. Isn't yeah. that something? Yeah. Now, after having said that, the Viet Cong had a lot of women. I killed a lot of women over the years. Or they'd have killed me. So, <laughs> it's just amazing. Pretty fucking simple choice, if you ask me. Well, the Israelis, Israelis have women come in combat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they play a crucial role in so many things. It's just, uh, I don't know. I honestly don't know, guys. You know, as proud as I am to have served, as proud as I am of the military, it scares me. Because I got two boys that may may go in. I don't know. I yeah. never, I don't talk to them about it. But uh, I know Dominic, he's mentioned it to me. And I, of course, I played it down, but 
you know, he, he may go. He's like me. I mean, that, <laughs> he's definitely his father's son. So yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, Jim, the, no pic- the picture of your mom with her back to you on the window when you told mm-hmm. her just sticks into my mind. It's burned forever will be, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it sticks in my mind. You know, as I sat there yesterday and I looked around that room, and they had some Gold Star families. Gold Star families are, are families whose children have been killed, husbands, sons, fathers, who have been killed in action. And uh, they had several of them there. And they pay tribute to them also, which they should. Uh, it's it's just, uh, like I say, it was a very, very moving ceremony. The Hall of Honor is a very moving place because of what it deals with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's a project that... Uh, group of retired military and local politicians worked on because we didn't have a place like this before. I got a copy of a letter that Bob Dole sent down. He says, I'm grateful to you for inviting me to the Purple Heart Hall of Honor celebration on June the 25th. I regret that my extended hospital treatments will not permit me to attend. I supported this project in the mid-90s when it was little more than a dream of a few dedicated diehards. The Genesis Group, that's the group that puts it together, the Board of Directors, and the New York State Department of Parks and Recreation deserve credit for making the Hall a reality. Your effort will provide the invaluable source of information, particularly the names and memories of Purple Heart recipients, families, friends, and the American public will have free access to interact the repository emphasizing the human aspects of the wars of the 21st and 20th centuries. From World War One to the ongoing wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. What started out as a few badges of merit from General Washington has become almost two million Purple Heart medals awarded since World War One. Unfortunately, our pride in these recipients is tempered by the reality of their need to be given daily to the military men and women defending us. I know from experiences that every Purple Heart veteran has a story, and these stories deserve to be available, available, I'm sorry, available to families, friends, and the American public. They are the core of the Hall's mission to inform and educate the American people, including generations to come, of the price that a Purple Heart veteran paid in blood, pain, and death to protect our freedom and the American way of life that we have enjoyed for more than 200 years. In closing, you have my best wishes for success as you make the hall into a national shrine in tribute to those Purple Heart veterans who earned their medals the hard way. Freedom is not free. God bless America, Bob Dole. I thought that was a great letter. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. 
So tell me, Jim, when you were there, t- tell me about how the the start the date when you pulled. Just tell me about when you first pulled up. Did you wonder what it was going to be? What what was your thinking as you got ready and you prepared for it in your hotel room? What start start there? What was that? What was running through your mind then before you even walked in the door? Are you talking about the event itself? Yeah. Well, first off, I haven't worn medals for, oh, God, <laughs> uh, since you kids were in boot camp, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's uh, it's been that long ago. So to put them all back together and stick them on the outside of a coat, it brought back a lot of memories. Because I don't, I don't spend time looking at medals. I stick them in a drawer and put them away and forget them, you know? Because they only belong to me for a moment. After that, they belong to history. And the former commandant of the Marine Corps told me that. He was my commanding officer in Vietnam at 9th Marines. At that time, it was Colonel Burroughs, later to be General Burroughs. He was a Navy Cross recipient also. And out of the clear blue sky, the last time I saw him in Vietnam... Uh, he's, we, we talked briefly about uh, awards and decorations because my paperwork and stuff was going through. Yeah. And he helped structure the whole citation. But at any event, uh, he says, you know, awards and decorations are only ours for the moment. After that, they become part of history. And those words have never escaped me. So in my hotel room, as I was getting ready, those thoughts went back through my mind. I looked at all those medals and I said, wow, that's pretty damn impressive. Who was that person? <laughs> and I, I just, uh, you know, I just rolled back through and uh, brought a lot of memories back. And then when I got there, I, again, 1,200 people are there. This is in a, a big hall, right? And you've got uh, the standard, regular military that was present, uh, represented every branch. Had a lot of homeland security there. You had an awful lot of veterans there, you know, I mean, 1,200 people. And out of all those people that were there, you had 130 of them were Purple Heart recipients. So everybody, Petraeus called everybody up on a stage. And he shook hands personally with every one of them and thanked every one of us and handed us this medal that he had made. Hmm. I was really, really impressed with that. I mean, you got guys that uh, could barely walk getting up on that stage. I mean, <laughs> it went back to the 40s. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm 62 years old. And, and you had people there who were so old they were farting dust. <laughs> but they they were you know they they were proud they were proud it's just different times different eras and I looked around there and and what really struck me the most besides the veterans was the families the families were just swollen with pride you know I mean 
a lot of times these things just aren't talked about, or if they are talked about, they're breathed over lightly, you know. But uh, you, you, have, you could feel the impact. I mean, they did a great job in putting the presentation on. So, so you and then afterwards, I went out and I got drunk. So. <laughs> <laughs> Which is where we find you the next morning. Which is great. Oh, that's right. In fact, just just for that's the right. just in the interest of full disclosure uh, to all of you listening, we had to postpone the show for a couple of hours. Uh, David and I were busy doing something while Jim was just patiently waiting in his hotel room for us to call. Right? <laughs> I, I, was, I was so damn hungover, I couldn't talk. To <laughs> I mean, it, it, it felt like a mortar barrage was going off in my head. You know, just pounding at me. Well, Jim, I'm just interested. Did you did you find the dog that shit in your mouth? <laughs> No, but I sure did spit out a lot of it. Mm. <laughs> so after you know, Jack you... Daniels never Jack Daniel never tastes the same the next day. You know. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so okay now now let's see here. Uh, you had an opportunity to speak to Petraeus, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, he's a he's a a really really impressive guy. I mean, he's been uh, West Point is just down the street from where I'm at. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm in the heart of history. But, but Petraeus, uh, you know, he's a 40-year military man. I mean, he's come a long, long ways. Uh, I don't know whether we talked last time. Did we talk about Memorial Day last time? We did not. We did not. Well, you know, Memorial Day, I was pissed off. President of the United States go to Chicago when he could have gone to Arlington, the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. He sends Joe Biden. I got nothing against Joe Biden. I was pissed at Obama. What the hell are you thinking? You're the commander-in-chief. You got two wars going on. Memorial Day is to honor all those who have served and are serving alive and dead, and the president goes to Chicago? Come on. Bullshit. He's got a jet. He flies in. He could have done the ceremony and then went to Chicago, but he chose not to. I got to tell you something. I was pissed for days. I'm still mad about it every time I think about it. But General Petraeus, I don't know if you guys watch TV's, now, but there was it was an all day marathon where they uh, showed war movies, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And Petraeus narrated prior to uh, each movie, and I was, was so impressed with that guy. What, what uh, channel was, uh, was that on? It's Turner, Turner Broadcasting. You know? Okay. I don't I don't know what you guys get it out there as, but. Yeah, I, mean, no, I, uh, I, I don't normally watch war movies, right? Yeah, I know. But I watch I watch war movies all day, and I was so impressed with Petraeus and the way this thing have, was put together. He was on TV the entire day, paying tribute to those who wear the uniform, and then 
I get a chance to see him in person and meet the man. And I told him, I said, I'm so proud of you. And he looked at me and he said, I'm proud of you. I said, no, no. I said, I'm so proud of you. You're leading our country in war. You are the commander on the ground. And I'm so proud of you because I know those troops mean everything to you. I mean, I, I, you know, I was just blown away with the guy. And I don't get blown away with people. Yeah. But I was impressed with him and the way he handled himself. You know, I have to say, I have to say, there's a certain part of me that thinks about the way that you know, you and I have talked about this, Jim. I don't know if we talked about it on air or anything like this, but we've talked about it offline for sure. About the serendipitous nature and maybe a guiding hand from somewhere. That this mm-hmm. newspaper article, I think maybe might have been. You know, I hate to see somebody go down south on it for any reason, but you know, I. This may be probably the best thing that could have happened to those young men and women in this nation in being able to put Petraeus back there because I know that he, it is a tremendous sacrifice for for himself and, again, for his family and the people around him. But, I mean, this is a man that's going to go in there and bring a new sense of leadership. He's bringing in his own team, not that team that ran their jib uh, and, you know, spewed it in the press but for whatever reason you know it is things went down the way that it went down but but um i don't know maybe there was a guiding hand in there because i agree with you i have a, a renewed sense of confidence for sure and there's no there's no i mean this is not the same war we know this is not the same war in afghanistan as petraeus was able to go ahead and stabilize in iraq and yet Correct. It's the same brain. There's just something about the man's ability to understand something on the ground. And while, you know, those young men and women that are out there, you know, just kicking up dust, you know, out on some patrol somewhere, aren't going to feel the impact necessarily right away. And the only people they really need to concern themselves with is is the man to his left and the woman to their right. Um, The overall strategy and how those men get deployed and are, you know, that's, it's, it's, I don't know. I'm feeling pleased that this thing went down and he is now the man put in place. And I don't think the president could have chosen a better man. Oh, I I agree. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, who was he going to choose? I have no idea. If not Petraeus, then who? Crystal. McChrystal was a good general. He, you know, he had a stupid attack, or maybe he didn't have a stupid attack. Maybe he just decided, "Hey, you know what? I don't like what's going on here." And sometimes that's what happens. But you know, Jim, I'm going to go ahead and part company on one big, massive line. Is there any other person in that country that had more of an impact on fixing what was going on? The man asked for thirty thousand. No, no, then McChrystal at the particular time. Let's just assume that oh. McChrystal didn't like what was going on. Okay? Right. He asked the president for for, for 30000 He got 30000 He, you know, basically for all intent and purposes, he got what he asked for. And the president didn't side with Biden and his plan and didn't side with the left. The only people that are supporting the president at this particular juncture for the plan that's on the ground right now are, are the Republicans because he's lost his lefty base. 
And but McChrystal mm-hmm. got everything that he wanted, and he was the man on the ground. You know, goddamn it, Jim, you taught us that you have to take responsibility for what's yours. And Betrayus to oh, me yeah. seems like the man that can do this. And McChrystal had an opportunity, and whether he's mad and pissed off about it and blaming uh, this civilian and that civilian. Shut your hole. I mean, there's not a single solitary military man that's had that level of responsibility that that didn't fight uh, the politics of the day. We know that. Oh, yeah. No, that's true. And, that's true. you know, are you going to suggest that somehow or another Betrayus is going to have a, a different set of circumstances? What you're going to have is a, a, is, a, is a different leader and a different man who's going to go in there and rally things in a different way and have the kind of impact that we know that he can have. I'm not so sure that McChrystal was the right man for the job. I, I, I'm not so sure. And things happened the way that they happened. And, you know, it's, you, we can, you know, we can have more Jack Daniels for the next 10 hours and talk about this. We're not going to get an answer, but, but we have a, a, another person in there that you met last night and uh, mm-hmm. he's going to be, he's going to be the brains and the leadership on the ground. And I feel as a nation, infinitely more confident than I ever felt with what was taking place with McChrystal. And, and I think it showed in his, his military bearing. And if you lose your military bearing in front of your, your true Jim, you know, as well as I do. And, and David, you do too. Bitches go up. They go up. If you've got a bitch, you take it up. Yep. And you don't take it down. And if he's the commanding officer, he has no peer. He has a bunch of subordinates. If, the subordinate, if he told the subordinates to lick a pair of barn boots, his subordinates would do it. And they wouldn't say, if, and, if, and, if, and if the general came in and said, hey, I don't want to hear that crap. You're a military man. It's yes, sir, and also three bags full. You and I can have a disagreement on execution of policy of the things that are within our control. But not, you know, that, that, that to me was a lack of discipline. And I think possibly... Um, it maybe bled itself into different areas, and I don't see Petraeus in any way, shape, or form allowing his his military discipline to be to be lost. He never did it in he never did it in Iraq. He got mad, and he, but he took his bitches up. He 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 had more than one pissing match with with the Bush administration when he was in Iraq. Uh, but those were behind oh, yeah. closed doors. Those are behind closed doors, not in the Rolling Stone. Right. Have either we read the Rolling Stone? Have either of you read the Rolling Stone um, uh, interviews yet, or the you? article? Have you? I've I've paged through the first few pages of it. Um, I haven't had a lot of time for reading lately. So, I haven't read it. I'll, but only, I have only the excerpts that I've seen. Jim, did you read it? Just bits and pieces. I've never went out and bought it. The only time I buy the Rolling Stones is if they got a picture of a hot girl on the cover. So. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Oh. <laughs> Maslow's hierarchy of needs there, Jim. I'm all for you, buddy. Uh, uh, get on the cover. <laughs> yeah, that's a great that's tune. Who sang that? Who sang that tune? That was Dr. Hook. hook, I think. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Hook. Dr. Hook. All right. I was close. I remembered the hook. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right, Jim. I want to go uh, back. I want to go back to last night. So, the um, you okay. show up. You're wearing the, your the medals. drunken part, or no, no, oh, I'm, I'm okay, gonna, yeah. we're gonna get to the drunken part, Jim. 
we got to we got we got to shake you know while while your drunken memories are still there so let's do this so um so you show up in the hall and i'm interested in i am interested in this time period from the time you closed the door on your rental to the time you walked and put your hand on the door to enter tell me about that time what was thrown through your mind during that time oh my god Nothing. I had a hangover. No, no. <laughs> it was the night before on that one. <laughs> so you showed no, up. I, I tell you. I, I'll tell you what was going through my mind. Anytime, anytime uh, someone shows up, at least in my mind's eye, and I'm around military people, right? People always like to, you know, they want to eye fuck. They want to know what's going on, and they look at you, and it always makes me nervous. I don't know if you guys ever knew that or not. <laughs> that always made me nervous. Huh? Yet, I mean, you learn to walk past it, but it it, it makes you nervous. Huh? I had a, uh, I may have said this earlier, but I had a Marine general on it uh, hug me because I had the Navy Cross. Really? He said, I just want to hug you. And, you know, he hugged me. You know. But, you know, little things like that always go through my mind want to know what people perceive perception is reality in people's minds right you know what i mean mm -hmm. oh i know exactly what you mean that's why you teach my students so that's uh that was going through my mind it's how people look at you because you definitely uh you get eyeballed people can't help it it's it's just human nature i mean you see a chest full of metals with it you always look at them at least i do and everybody there did too. So you were concerned about being eyeballed. Well, it, it just made me a little uncomfortable. Can I ask you about that, Jim? What? what Why? Yeah. What? What is it? Is it? Is it because you know this what popped into my mind, and the reason why I want to ask you is: as you're talking, I'm thinking to myself, why is it that Jim would be uncomfortable about that? Is it because those medals represent? A period of time, and they and, and somebody that did something, and and now you're you can pull back from that and say, I have no idea why I did that. Why? Why is it, Jim? Why is it that you're concerned about being being eye banged on something like that? I guess that could be part of it. I, I guess that could be part of it. Another part of it probably goes back to the first time that I wore a uniform home. I have really gotten over that when I was in Vietnam and, uh, you know, people spit at you and I just had some bad experiences that stuck in my mind. But yet when I was in the Marine Corps, the last time I was around all Marines, so I didn't care, you know, even though I knew I was being looked at, it was a different kind of look, you know, but, uh, that's, now that you bring it up, that could be a big part of it. I only wore a uniform home once. I wouldn't wear one again. Hmm. Because at that point in time, I'd probably ripped your head off, shit inside, and screwed it back on again. You know, <laughs> I just, uh, I, I didn't need, I, I didn't need the conflict at home. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, you see World War II vets. I don't think they felt that way. Uh, Korean vets, 
they didn't come home to uh, crowds of cheers or drums or anything else. I mean, that's the that's the one thing that I like about the kids who come home now. Uh, they're accepted so much better. You know? Yeah. I mean, they know their country has pride in them, and uh, that's so important. I think at that time in my life, uh, my group of veterans, we were cheated of that. And uh, it, it sticks with a lot of guys, I guess. Yep. Well, you, know, you, you go about your business, you don't say nothing, you know, and you just move on. I'm on, I'm on vacation right now for from camp for a couple of days, so yeah. when I got... I got a little bit of time yesterday afternoon to go see a movie. And as I was walking in, I saw two Air Force sergeants and talked to them a little bit. And they both had their, I've been over there, ribbons. Um, they're now recruiters yeah. down, down out of Fargo. And I thanked them for their service. And, you know, they tried to sell me. I told, you know, I had had my Marine Corps ball cap on. They tried to sell uh-huh. me in, on the Air Force and tried to give me a pen. And I said, hold it, I'm a Marine. I don't know how to use one of those things. <laughs> well, you know what? It's always done in, in good faith. Uh, there's, there's been a resurgency of national patriotism. Uh, and I have to lay that at 9-11. Because at that moment, the country was pulled together. The country yep. was focused. And, and I think that changed an awful lot about the perception. Yeah. And I, I was really, really, really proud. Uh, well, I'm always proud, but I was really, really proud of what I saw as a nation, you know. And it's still there. It's, it's in, uh, like you said earlier, people go on with their life. That's the thing. When you fight a war in somebody else's country, the people at home really aren't touched by it. Now, the exception was World War II, where everybody had to sacrifice, and we had so many people that served in it, you know. Yep. Uh, had to, food had to be rationed, gas had to be rationed, stuff like that. I mean, the men were gone, so the women had to go to the factories and uh, start to work, you know. Yeah. Rosie the Riveter stuff. So, I mean, that's, that's different. That touches you. The Korean conflict, the Korean War, it didn't touch anybody here other than the families of those who served. The Vietnam War, that touched a lot of people. I mean, that was the only war that was ever fought. And you don't even see it on uh, Afghanistan, not like it was in the Vietnam War, where it was on TV every friggin' day. I mean, it it was nonstop war, you know? Yeah. So... And, and then you had a change, a social change, that was taking place at that time also. So that uh, war, war wasn't uh, really that exciting to people. <laughs> they were leaving the country to go to Canada so they didn't have to serve, or they were going to college to become a, a teacher because they would be exempt from the draft. Right. Well, and we ended the draft. And now, look at all the kids. This is a strictly, and you said it earlier, Gar, this is strictly a volunteer service. And there is not a shortage of volunteers. And it's not because they got nothing to do, because they know they're going to go off into a foreign land. you got two wars going on. 
So I'm I'm really really proud of the kids today. I mean, they're every time you know they always say. Remember we used to say, well, it's not the old core. It doesn't matter. It's still the core. And every every man who puts on a uniform and Petraeus hit the nail, hit it right on the nail, stands on the shoulders of those who came before. Yep. And now it's their turn to be part of history. Hey, Jim, I want to ask if you'd be willing to do a soft landing for us and take us <laughs> and take us <laughs> take us to you leave the hall and you go and uh, tell me about when you started, when you cracked that, when you sat down there and all of a sudden you said, I'm going to have that first drink and you looked around and there was other buddies like you and other Marines. Tell me about looking around and that first person you struck up a conversation with take us from there and well, then... it, would be, it, it would it would be peter hartmeyer nice peter peter was with me nice and it, it was because of you that i retouched bases with uh, peter hartmeyer right on and uh you know we just started pounding him down good and, and then we talked about old times and uh we talked about how the how the event was so nice, and how it turned out, and we talked a lot about Petraeus, and, uh, and we talked a lot about the kids who are serving now, and how proud we were of them. And we just laughed and joked, and played the jukebox, hmm. and kept throwing them back. Well, I do want to say I want to if I if if you'll allow me to just get a little bit melancholy maybe a little sentimental i want to say a couple of things obviously it was a very special night for you jim and uh and an important important night with petraeus and for our nation but i know i do want to say this i know that it's difficult sometimes for you to talk about these things i i know that and um i, I and for those people who are listening but just just on a very personal note in front of you me and david the rest of you guys can join in on this one i want to I want to thank you for these special this this last hour of my life. Um, it was it was a gift that I I myself won't ever forget. Thank you, Jim. Yes, thank you for me too, Jim. You know what? I, I appreciate that, and I think uh, if there's anybody out there that's listening to this that hasn't been listed at the Hall of Honor, you should be. I'm going to give you the website. It's www dot the purpleheart.com and you can go up there and, and see if there's a family member just put your name in and it's an interactive uh, website put your name in and see if they're listed if they're not listed then get them listed yeah because this is a national hall of honor the only one of its kind in the united states and it's designed to honor the men and women have either been wounded or died in combat. Yeah. There, there is no big register where they can draw all the names off. It's up to military organizations like the Purple Heart, you know, to put the name in or a family member on it. They got, uh, you know, the old records and, and, and put their dad's name in there, or put their brother's name in there, or put their mother's name in there, put whoever... It is who received the Purple Heart. It's a it's a medal of honor, in a sense where 
we're honoring somebody on it who, in some cases, paid the ultimate sacrifice, or in other cases, is still paying that price. So you should honor them just for that. And this is a national, national hall of honor. This is something that uh, will go on throughout history. Yeah. So you got the website, and uh, if you know somebody on it who has a Purple Heart, have them access that. See if their name's there. If their name's not there, have them get their name there. They deserve, and their family deserves, to pay tribute to them. You know... We'll, I will also put a link on the on, from the show notes, and so people can get easy access to it from standardies.org. And is already going to do that. Yep, we'll put that in the show notes for us. Well, I'm working. I'm working to get my dad listed too. I got it. Um, I looked at the form, and I got to get a copy of his citation. And I think there's one other thing I have to do. So next time I go home, that's one of the things I'm going to work on with my dad. Well, yeah, I mean, just think about it, you know. I mean, your your grandchildren, your grandchildren's children, your your name will be in the archive, and it should be. Well, because you served you served your country, and you paid one of the most ultimate prices you can pay. You know. Yeah. Well, fellas, we have. Uh... We've come to the end of a very special hour, my my most pleasurable uh, hour, emotional hour for me, emotional, <laughs> emotional hour for me. But, uh, Jim, thank you. Thank you guys very much. And normally what we end up doing here, guys, is just for the people who listen, is we'll hang up and then we'll do a quick quick 411 conversation and kind of just jab each other offline. But today I'm going to going to hang up. Um, okay. And, well, uh, let's... But I let's do. give our let's give our also our information yeah. standardies.org. Yep. And you can follow us on Facebook. Yep. And of course you can get us on iTunes. Jim, go get some rest. Say hello to Peter. I assume <laughs> Peter's there with you, right? <laughs> I'm going to meet him later today for a beer. A little bit of the hair of the dog that yeah. uh, bit you, you know. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> please do me a favor and send him my greatest semper fi and to all the men and women that are out there and and guys. Um, Get some new show notes. Get some guests next week. But I, again, again, Jim, thank you for um, a, a special hour of my life. I appreciate it. And thank you again, Jim. And thank you, Gar. Hey, later, guys. Bye.